you will uh, reach for your Bibles and remain standing with me and turn to Luke chapter 1 for our scripture reading this morning. Luke chapter 1, and we'll be reading verses 5 through 25 and then flipping over to verses 57 through 79 in Luke chapter 1 as Pastor Bruce starts a new series, Don't Be Afraid. Today we're going to look at God Remembers. We're going to be looking at the story of uh, the birth of John the Baptist and how God worked uh, in and through that. And if you need a pew Bible, you can look on page 1016 in the pew Bible in front of you. So Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, and then 57 through 79. Follow along as I read. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went up to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among my people. And flip over to verses 57 through 79. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to the father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors, and all these things were talked about through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will, will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. 
as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we just thank you for your word. and We thank you for sending your son and all the different uh, ways that you achieved your, your, your plan uh, from the beginning. And the way that you used Zechariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist. And just pray that you would open our hearts and minds and, and, and be, uh, just be open to your word. And that this season and this month that we would ultimately uh, just give thanks uh, for, the, for the sending of your son into the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't be afraid. The angel said three different times here in the first two chapters of Luke's gospel. I don't think there's a more profound command for us today than this. Don't be afraid. You may be wondering why. Well, as author Christopher Bader writes in his book, Fear Itself, Americans, quoting, live in a culture of fear. The ongoing pandemic obviously has intensified this culture of fear over these last nine months as the coronavirus has caused increased fears, increased worries across the country and even around the world. In fact, according to researchers, the most Googled phobia of 2020 is fear of other people who attribute the trend to the COVID-19 pandemic. And while COVID may be at the top of most people's list of fears, there are all kinds of other fears people are paralyzed by as well. Now, one reason why is because the devil's aim is actually to rob us of our joy by sowing fear in our hearts. And so we here this morning, as Christ followers, we, myself included, we need to hear again what the angel said. Don't be afraid. And even though this command was said to different individuals... Over 2,000 years ago, it still rings true today. It still applies today. Don't be afraid, the angel said. Now, you'll notice in your notes, this command is actually God's loving invitation to trust Him. People are afraid of a lot of things, and those fears create doubt and even unbelief in our lives, but God wants to set us free from our fears. And so what we're going to see over the course of the next five weeks in this series is that God actually gives us several different reasons why we can trust Him, why we should trust Him as our Heavenly Father that are all centered around the birth of His Son, Jesus Christ. And the first reason comes from an old priest named Zechariah. Don't be afraid. Why? Because God remembers. Now, Zechariah's story of trust plays out in four different scenes that Zach read for us here. 
And that's what I want us to look at. I want us to look at the story of Zechariah in the course of these four scenes. And the very first scene that we see here is a faithful priest without a child. Zechariah is a faithful priest who lived in the hill country near Jerusalem, which meant he was just another ordinary country priest. He was one of an estimated 8,000 priests living in Palestine at that time. In verse 5, we learn that Zechariah is married to the daughter of a priest named Elizabeth, which was considered a, a rare and wonderful blessing for a priest. Why? Because his wife Elizabeth, who's the daughter of a priest, that means she would understand the demands of the priesthood better than other women would. In fact, the name Zechariah was actually a a very popular priestly name that means, get this, the Lord remembers. Elizabeth's name means the Lord is reliable. Little did they know that their names would prove prophetic over the course of their lives. Now, we might tend to think of Zechariah and Elizabeth as just an old country pastor and his wife nearing the age of retirement. But both were still very active in serving the Lord. And both were characterized by righteousness. In fact, according to verse 6, look what it says. They were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that they were sinless, but rather they had a right relationship with God. They loved God. They sought to live by the commandments of God. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth surely enjoyed the happiness that comes to families where both husband and wife are righteous, where both of them seek to follow the ways of God, where both have a right relationship with God, except for one cloud that cast a dark shadow on their happiness. Notice this. Zechariah and Elizabeth were both righteous before God, but they had no child. Luke states the facts of their disappointment this way in verse 7. He says, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, we can begin to imagine the lifetime of heartache behind those words. As childless parents felt, quote, passed over by God. This was the great disappointment in Elizabeth's life. She had always longed to hold a child in her own arms, her child. But now that was impossible. Her womb was old. It was barren. And I'm sure Zechariah and Elizabeth had prayed many, many, many years for God to give them a child. Any woman who has ever wanted a child knows what Elizabeth must have endured. The prying questions, the the insensitive remarks, the the sharp pain of disappointment, the nagging doubts about the, the very goodness of God. But for Elizabeth, there was something even worse. The very suggestion that somehow this was all her fault that she didn't have a child yet. One pastor and author writes, In any culture, infertility is an aching disappointment. And for some, an almost unbearable stress. But the burden cannot be compared to that borne by childless women in ancient Hebrew culture because barrenness was considered a disgrace, even a punishment. 
In fact, you drop down to verse 25 there. And Elizabeth refers to the stigma of this that she had to endure from people who assumed God was against her. And in verse 25, she calls it her reproach or her disgrace. Now, this was bad manners on behalf of that culture of people. Even her family and friends who thought that about her. But even worse, theology. You see, Elizabeth was not ungodly. She was righteous before God. Therefore, the heartache she suffered was not some kind of punishment for her sin. Listen, our sins are not always the cause of our suffering. Sometimes they are, but not always. Listen, sometimes Christ followers suffer for exactly the opposite reasons. For the sake of righteousness. Sometimes God allows us to suffer because He wants us to to grow through our suffering. He wants us to be tested in our suffering. And ultimately, He wants to be glorified through our suffering. And in this case, Elizabeth was childless for the very glory of God. God was not punishing her, but was actually planning a miracle that would get His people ready for the very Savior of the world. So the question to ask about suffering is not, what have I done to deserve this? But how can I glorify God through this? And so no matter what suffering we must endure, there is still a way for us to glorify God. Now we come to scene number two in the defining moment of Zechariah's life. And in this scene, we see a very fearful priest with an angel. A fearful priest with an angel. Now, by the time Zechariah gets to the temple, listen, he is a card-carrying member of AARP, which is why he is so totally cut off guard by what happens next inside the temple. Luke tells us in verse 8, look at it again with me. It says, Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Now, understand, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah. A once-in-a-lifetime experience. The honor of burning incense was the greatest event in the life of a priest. In fact, many priests never got this privilege, and no priest was allowed to offer it more than once. So perhaps we can't even picture the scene with anticipation, with awe. Zechariah prepares to offer incense on God's altar. Zechariah was standing in the presence of Almighty God, burning the incense that filled the room with smoke. His heart was pounding in his chest. And then suddenly it almost stopped. As Zechariah realized, he is no longer alone, but in the presence of a heavenly being. Verse 11 and 12 says, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Zechariah was terrified by this. Literally, the word means petrified. And this is what happens when people see angels. This angel is none other than Gabriel. The same angel that will appear to Mary 
It's the same angel that earlier had already appeared to Daniel. Gabriel tells Zechariah what angels have to tell all humans when they first encounter them. Don't be afraid. Notice why in verse 13 and 14. It says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness in many will rejoice at his birth. Now, let me tell you, this is the day everything changed for Zechariah. His whole life was turned upside down by this very moment. On this day, on this day, Zechariah met an angel with good news. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Zechariah is being told something. Your wife will bear you a son. What incredible news. Good news. But wait, this wasn't Zechariah's prayer in the temple, was it? He was in there praying, not for his own child to be born. He was in there praying for his nation. He was praying for the Messiah to come. He was praying for the salvation of Israel. Zechariah was an old priest now. He wasn't praying for a child anymore. He prayed that prayer many, many, many years ago in the past. Now he and Elizabeth had finally stopped praying that prayer. Why? Because they were long well past the ages of having a child. Listen, just because God never answered that prayer, though, doesn't mean God didn't hear that prayer. So here's Gabriel telling Zechariah the good news that his prayer, which he prayed many years ago for a child, has now been heard. And of course, this child would be known as John the Baptist, the one who prepared the way for Jesus Christ. No wonder Gabriel tells Zechariah in verse 19, I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. What an incredible day for Zechariah. A priest without a child met an angel with good news. I can just see Zechariah in the temple. He's probably spilled frankincense on his robe. His mouth is hanging wide open. His mind is completely blown away. So how would Zechariah respond to all this? Well, that brings us to scene three. Look at it again. With me, scene number three, and what we find here is a faithless old man without a voice. A faithless old man without a voice. Now, do you think Zechariah's first words are, Oh, Gabriel, this is wonderful news. Praise be to God who has answered our prayer. Not quite. That's the revised version of what he wished he had said. Notice what Zechariah actually said to the angel in verse 18. How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. In other words, here's what Zechariah is saying in the temple to the angel Gabriel. We're too old to have a baby. I have a master's degree in Depends and my wife has a PhD in geriatrics. There is no way this is happening. At least Zechariah is wise enough to say, I am an old man, and my wife, well, she's just advanced in years. The problem is what Zechariah says first. How shall I know this? 
Eugene Peterson offers this paraphrase. Do you expect me to believe this? Do you really expect me to believe this, Gabriel? Which captures the heart of his unbelief in this moment. God has moved this faithful priest to the very outer limits of his faith. And he now says what every one of us say whenever we are beyond the boundaries of our belief too. How are you going to do this? This seems improbable, impossible, illogical. How will I know this for certain? In other words, Zechariah's answer in so many words is, don't you know, Gabriel, old people don't have babies. If you ever wanted to know how to mess up the very best day of your life, well, this is it. Here's a picture of how to mess up the best day of your life. You see, instead of looking to God in faith, Zechariah looks at himself, he then looks at his wife, And he does so in unbelief, and he decided that the birth of a son was just too impossible to happen. Can't happen. It's impossible. You see, the objection that Zechariah raised is often the objection that people tend to always raise. He did not believe in the supernatural power of God. You see, Zechariah, like most of us are tempted to do, he was looking at things from merely a human point of view. His biology was right, but his theology was wrong. As one church father said, Zechariah looked at his age, his gray hair, his body, that had lost its strength already. He looked at his wife's barrenness, and he refused to accept on faith what the angel revealed would come to pass. You see, Zechariah in this moment just couldn't believe how his old wife could conceive a baby. He wanted proof, even though he's standing before the angel of the Lord. Are you kidding me? Zechariah says in verse 18, I am an old man and my wife is advanced to years. But look what the angel says in verse 19. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And that God is none other than the great I am God. Which means the obstacles of your I am are not a problem for the great I am. In other words, the obstacles of your I am, in this case, too old. I am too discouraged. I'm too disappointed. I'm too broke. I'm too whatever you are in life. It's not a problem for the great I am God. Zachariah, your physical inability is now the platform for God's supernatural ability. But Zachariah wanted a sign. He just couldn't believe. And so he asked for a sign. And so God gave him a sign. The angel tells Zechariah in verse 20, And behold, oh yeah, behold, Zechariah, you will be silent and 
and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And of course, from that moment on, for the next nine months of his wife's pregnancy, Zechariah did not speak another word. Poor Zechariah. He had just heard the greatest news that anyone had heard in about 400 years, but he wasn't able to tell anyone about it. All he could do was make hand gestures, hand signs, hand signals. God was teaching Zechariah to trust him, that God is able to work in circumstances that absolutely seem impossible from a human point of view, are impossible. As a priest, he should have remembered, though, what God did for Abraham and Sarah. He knew the story. Zechariah's temporary disability was a sign against his own unbelief in his heart. God said, Zechariah, you want a sign? Listen, I'll give you a sign. If you won't believe my word, I won't let you share it until your son is born. And so Zechariah now has nine months of solitude and silence to ponder the angel's message. You see, Zechariah's silence, it was a divine rebuke for his unbelief. But God always turns his rebukes into rewards for those who will persevere, for those who will stay the course, for those who will keep the faith. And that's exactly what Zechariah did, which brings us to scene number four. And what we see here now is a fulfilled father with a song in his heart. A fulfilled father with a song in his heart. Sure enough, God kept his promise. Elizabeth conceived, and she gave birth to a son in her old age. Luke writes in verse 57 and 58, look at it again. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And what happened next is the same thing that still happens today when babies are born. A name is given to that baby. In verse 59, it says, And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. These friends and these relatives here, they just couldn't believe Elizabeth wanted to name her baby John. That just didn't make sense in that culture. Because you always named the baby after the father. So according to verse 62, they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. So what would Zechariah do? How would he respond again to this? Verse 63 says, and he asked for a writing tablet. And he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And that word just means they were all in shock. They were amazed by this. Why? Because in obedience, Zechariah named his son John. In other words, by doing this, he is now proving his faith in God's promise that the Messiah was coming and that his son would prepare the way for the Savior of the world. 
In fact, Luke tells us in verse 64 that immediately Zechariah's mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God. And according to verse 68, the very first words out of his mouth were, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Blessed be that God. Zechariah. In his old age, after nine long months of solitude and silence, listen, he is now a fulfilled father with a song in his heart. He has now learned firsthand that God can be trusted in the disappointments of life. God has not gotten so busy that he has overlooked our disappointments. He has not gotten so overworked that we have somehow slipped through the cracks of his understanding. Listen, God can still be trusted in the disappointments of life. Why? Because as Zechariah's name testifies, God remembers. God always remembers. God remembers and he keeps his promises. Like Zechariah. You know, you can learn a lot. And time out for nine months, can't you? I don't know that it's, I find it interesting. I don't think it's coincidental. Nine months of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Long time to be in time out. And yet, I can't help but reflect in this pandemic, you know how long it's been? About nine months. So let me ask a question in regards to that. Because in some ways, we've kind of been in a little bit of a timeout. A pause, if you will. What has God been teaching you through these last nine months during this pandemic? Listen, he's teaching us something. And regardless of what you might believe about the pandemic, whether it's a judgment of God upon the world, whether it's simply just in the providence of God that he's allowed it, in his sovereignty, regardless of that, this is a time for us to reflect and learn and understand what is it that God is teaching What does he want me to see about him and even about my own life and even the world around me? Can you hear him? Has your heart softened enough to receive his word? You see, here's the lesson that Zechariah learned. The greatest lesson that Zechariah learned was to quit looking at himself and to start looking at his God to trust God's promises, to trust God's power in this disappointment in his life. Listen, even in times of confusion, look at God. In failed relationships, look at God. In your unpredictable job situation, look at God. In your health situation, look at God. In your disappointments of life, look at God. In this pandemic, look at God. Get your eyes off of yourself, and so many times when we have our eyes on ourselves, what is it? We are in a moment of self-pity, and get your eyes on to God in faith and hope. Do you realize that when God made Zechariah mute, in fact, possibly even deaf, as some scholars b- believe, that meant that his eyes were the primary function that he kept. 
And so he quietly watched the love of his life, Elizabeth, despite her old body, overcome her barrenness day by day for nine months, all by the power of God. He saw it firsthand right in his own home. In fact, Zechariah now is so amped up after the birth of his son that he pulls out his pocketbook and he began praising God in a song that he wrote. Just listen to how Zechariah sets up this song. In verse 68 and 69, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Listen, this is the answer for the nation of Israel. In fact, this is the answer for all people around the world. Our deliverer, our redeemer, Jesus Christ, has come. He is our salvation. Zechariah continues singing in verses 70 through 75. He says, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without, what? Fear. In holiness. In righteousness before him all our days. And then he sings about his son John in verse 76. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. What a glorious song of praise to God. Here's a fulfilled father with a song in his heart. And do you know what Zechariah's song teaches us? We might summarize it this way. Let your faith conquer your fears. Some of you might be thinking to yourself, well, Zechariah, listen, he got what he was praying for. Sure, he was disciplined because of his unbelief and he persevered. But he still got what he prayed for. I'm still over here with unanswered prayer and drowning in disappointment. So how can this help me? Well, if you read this song closely, you will notice that Zechariah's joy is emphatically grounded first on the birth of Jesus Christ. And then his own baby boy John. Why? Because Jesus, he understands, is the only hope for the salvation of the world. And so the very first words that come out of his mouth in nine months points us to trust in the promises and power of God. Listen, the best gift that God gives is one that takes away our sadness, one that takes away our despair and fills us with true joy and real security. And it's not in things, but in Jesus Christ. Listen, the greatest birth in this story 
is not John the Baptist. It was the birth of faith in Zechariah's own heart to trust in God's promise of the Messiah. And again, just to point out, did you notice that Zechariah's time of silence was for how long? Nine months. So perhaps, out of your own pain, your own despair, disappointment, God wants to birth in you a renewed trust in Him. A renewed trust in His promises. A renewed trust in His Son, Jesus Christ. A gift that is the answer to all of our fears. So don't be afraid. Listen, God can be trusted. Why? Because God remembers. He has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten your prayers. He has not forgotten any of His promises toward you. So don't stop crying out to Him in faith. Don't be afraid. God remembers. Let's pray. And before I pray, I want to ask you to pray. Right where you're seated. Right now, would you examine your heart and confess your fears right now to God the Father, who is always listening and has your best interest in mind? Remember, the devil wants to rob you of your joy by sowing fear in your heart. But God wants to set you free from your fears by trusting him with your life, your disappointments, and your circumstances. And so right now, Ask God for the grace to trust Him and His promises for your life. Heavenly Father, we bow before you this day, asking that you would help our unbelief. Forgive us for not trusting you and taking you at your word. Grant us the grace to keep serving and worshiping you in the midst of our suffering and unfulfilled dreams. Father, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for the salvation that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. And we look forward to his soon return. It's in his name we pray. Amen.